Hi friends, this is episode 62 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hi everybody, I'm so glad to be back with you. We had so much fun with chapter 3. We're going to have even more fun with chapter 4 as we take a look at the only chapter in the entire Bible that was written by a non-Jew. And so it's going to be fun seeing Nebuchadnezzar's chapter that he wrote about God and how he viewed God's character. And ultimately, he had to ask the question, the same question that you ask or possibly have asked several times in your life. Do you think that God allows us to go through times of trouble in order to improve us and help us achieve even greater things with our lives? Is that true or is God doing something completely different? So I can't wait to jump into this conversation with you, but I also want to remind you, if you're just coming on board, just to let you know, we do have some great resources. We have a study guide that you can look at either on your screen or uh, you can print it out and uh, and be able to follow along. It'll really help you be able to uh, just kind of keep track of where we are in the conversation and, and what we're doing. So definitely go to our website, thebiblelab.com, and uh, go to the episodes uh, page and you'll find the You Never Stand Alone series. And there's where you'll click onto episode four and get your own study guide. But without further ado, I don't want to waste any more time because this is a great conversation. So welcome to the Bible Lab. Welcome to understanding the character of God better. You guys ready? I don't think so, because this one is hard, the first one. The rest of the people in this room have more issues with their pride than me. Oh, this is a hard one. Oh, my word. Okay, so, for the people at home, I'm going to tell you what I'm seeing is about... And it's, it, this microphone's ringing just a little bit, so we could probably take it down just a little bit, Chris. Take the microphone down just a little bit. Thank you. Um, what I'm seeing here, I saw about 70% no. And I saw about 20% maybe, and I saw about 10% yes. So, and Chris, we're still ringing. I'm in a coffee can. Someone get me out of a coffee can. This is the Adventist community. We're not supposed to have coffee. Number one, you, uh, you all looked at that and said the rest of the people in this room have more issues with their pride than me, and most of you said no, and, and I know why. <laughs> and so do you, because we all have issues with pride. Yes, we're too proud to let people know that. No, I'm, I'm actually doing okay. Uh, number two, God does not want us to be comfortable and content. God does not want us to be comfortable and content, and I see an absolute split here, a mixture, and I know why, because all your prayer requests are, God, please bring into my life comfort and, and these things that bring me contentment. It's hard, isn't it? It's human nature. It's our natural struggle, our life struggle to find, how can I finally be comfortable because I can't stand living in this state of discomfort? But the reality is comfort is the enemy of greatness. 
And God, in this moment, you will see in the very beginning verses of chapter 4 that one of the reasons why God moves into Nebuchadnezzar's life and makes him uncomfortable is because he is comfortable and contented. He's got all the things that he needs. One of the greatest curses that the devil can bring into your life is giving you everything you desire. It's one of the worst things that can happen is you having everything you've ever wanted and being comfortable. It's horrible for you. And we're going to talk about that today. Number three, God has placed all of our current political leadership. All right, I want to see if anybody else's blood pressure goes up other than mine today. Anybody else need medication for their blood pressure now? We are split. Okay, the Republicans are saying... No, I'm... I meant to say, some of you are saying, <laughs> okay, number four, I'm just going to move on. For those of you, at, for those of you who are listening to this, it was, it was split enough that we'd, we'd probably have to have a recount on the vote somewhere. <laughs> yeah, there was, I'm sure there was some voting fraud going on. Number four, God brings times of trouble into our lives when necessary. And now you don't know how to answer because of what's happened in the last couple of... Wow, I am seeing a majority of yes. You went to first service. You You know, isn't it amazing how God links what is happening in the sermonic calendar with what we're doing here? And the funny thing is we're not getting together and saying, hey, let's speak on the same thing. God is moving in such amazing ways to bring a, a wide worldview, a broader picture of what he wants you to know about his character. And he does so much that those of us who are saying, God, inspire us to know what the people need to hear, uh, God is, uh, is desperate for those moments, and he steps in, and it's amazing. This has consistently happened. This is now, what, four and a half years of the Bible. It's consistently happened where I'm like, holy cow. We, we couldn't have mapped this out better between what's happening in the sanctuary and what's happening here. God is so good. He, he wants to do something right now, and he's doing it. So exactly. Those of you who have not gone to first service and were not planning on going to second, I hope you change your mind because it will take you deeper. Number five, God will remove you from positions of power if you take credit for his blessing. <laughs> yeah, we're split all over the place. Yes, we are all over. Because, a ton of maybes, by the way. We probably had more maybes than yeses and noes and had the same amount of yeses and noes. So those of you who are mathematicians, you'll be able to know exactly what that is. I don't. Um, I studied theology. Um, I know why many of you are saying maybe, and I know why many of you are saying no. Because the picture of God that we've built by looking at a lot of places in Scripture shows that God, at any opportunity, He's going to make sure you're blessed. He's going to make sure that He gives your life fulfillment like you've never had. We, we haven't really seen a lot of pictures of God taking things away because that really seems kind of tyrannical. It seems controlling. And so we've I understand why a lot of you are saying no, and a lot of you are saying maybe, because 
in, in looking at what happens when you don't do what God likes, we've seen a consistent picture of God being a very gentle, grace-filled, forgiving God. But today we're going to have to look at a perspective, and it's going to be really cool. The only chapter in the entire book of the Bible that was written by a pagan is the chapter we're reading today. It's his perspective. It's not Daniel's perspective. Daniel entered this into his book basically as kind of this little interlude time where he says, oh, by the way, uh, Nebuchadnezzar wants to tell you guys something. And Nebuchadnezzar writes chapter 4, and Daniel inserts it into his story of God making himself known in his life. And so what I want us to do is I want us to read Daniel chapter 4, we're, we're going to skip a few verses, but as you read along, you'll see we're only skipping because of redundancy. We're, we're not skipping any, any content. There's a lot of repetition here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look, first of all, at verses 1 through 8, kind of in the little intro that Nebuchadnezzar gives, and we're going to see some key elements we'll discuss, and then we're going to dive into the second vision that Nebuchadnezzar has. You guys know the first vision. The first vision was of this image, the different types of, of metal, the Daniel chapter 2. Now, God gives him a second vision. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, I'm going to read from the NIV. It reads like this. King Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, that's how they used to do in those days, instead of signing it at the end, sincerely, King Nebuchadnezzar, you would start out telling people who wrote this, which I don't know why we ever dropped it, because I'm scrolling through emails all day trying to figure out, now what tone should I be reading this in, because I don't know who wrote this email. But very uh, wisely back in those days, they would start out with basically who wrote this. And so we know right at the beginning, King Nebuchadnezzar. And who's he writing to? He says, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs! How mighty are his wonders! His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Verse 4, I... Nebuchadnezzar was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I bald-faced that because I want you to remember this. He says, I was contented and prosperous. Verse 5, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream. It's nice that he did that this time, right? The last dream is like, tell me what I dreamt, and then I'll know. But he tells them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Verse 8, finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He's called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. First eight verses, little intro here little setting here I want us to know, just a little understanding. This didn't happen right after his vision of the image, and then you got the fiery furnace, and then boom, he has another dream. 
This is about 30 years later. Okay, 30 years later, which means Daniel's in his late 40s, maybe early 50s, depending on how people count uh, the different years there. It's a time of great prosperity and, like he said, contentment uh, in his life. He has just, Nebuchadnezzar has just finished building his new palace in this part of the land known as Tema, later to be renamed Babylon. Brand new beautiful palace. Some of you doctors here know the feeling. Uh, your brand new beautiful mansion you've built, it's overlooking, it's just above the smog layer, and you're just loving life. You're content. You've arrived. 30 years of being a king, and Nebuchadnezzar has become so fiercely known in, in battle that there's not a single nation that wants to go to battle with Babylon. They just don't want to because they know, chances are, they're not going to make it. The, the whole cut to pieces and the house has turned to rubble uh, that Nebuchadnezzar talks about. He had done enough of that that people said, I don't want any part of that. So it's a time of peace, peace and prosperity. Isn't it interesting that God chooses a time of peace and prosperity to work? We're going to dive into this a little bit, but I, I want to ask you this question. Why do you think that God sent Nebuchadnezzar a second vision during a time when his life was contented and prosperous? Do you think God typically uses this setting to make a difference in people's lives? What have you found in your experience? Why do you think God would choose this time for Nebuchadnezzar. Have you seen that before? So the microphone host have microphones. If you'd like to comment, raise a question comment card. I've got one right over here. And we'll get a microphone to you right away to make your comment. I have the green microphone right here. Thank you. Go ahead, Debbie. As you mentioned initially, sometimes we don't know that we need God when things are all going well. But I noticed looking here, you talked about heavenly watchers making this decision. Ah. And I noticed you, I'm just sort of curious what you would say about that. Maybe this has something to do with the bigger controversy going on in the universe? That's a very good question. Now, as I read through uh, that term, watchers, which we, we translate as watchers, many of the commentators uh, were a little bit split on this. Some said that because of the Babylonian belief of the celestial bodies, that the, the, the the gods and lesser gods and, and messengers and angels and, and all that uh, in their theology, that because this is Nebuchadnezzar sharing from his perspective, that when he receives this message, he, now here's the options, A, assumes it's from these multiple uh, beings sharing it to, with him. Second option is when God gave him this vision, it's very much like what happened with John the Revelator with Revelation. Angels would bring things. Angels would bring parts of the imagery to John so he would understand what God was trying to say in vision. So others say, yeah, quite possibly God is using actual angels, these messengers, to bring parts of this vision to him, the, the, the symbols, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, all this imagery of this tree and, and animals and all this stuff. So um, uh, they are split 
on whether it was just Nebuchadnezzar's uh, theological bent or whether actually, like John the Revelator, these are actual angels that are participating in this vision. So a uh, very, uh, very good question you have there, Debbie. Um, but my thought is, if you look at the different times of, uh, of visions, even with Daniel him, himself, um, for some reason, God incorporates more than, it, it, it's just not him putting pictures or images. He incorporates uh, some of his key staff within the uh, angelic realm, and they come and, and they help. And to me, that's actually pretty cool to think that God's not just telling everyone to sit back, but he's saying, come on, let's, let's explain this to this human, try to help him. And uh, I, I can't help but see the angels there, much like uh, I would put on a puppet show for, for kids, trying to help them understand, I need some help. I need, I need more people to run the puppets. Um, and so God's there trying to help with all of these uh, visual props to try to help Nebuchadnezzar at this time to, to really get it and, and to even understand that God's kingdom is not just this singular being, um, but really is a kingdom that, that has multiple entities that are, that are all trying to support and, and serve the salvation of mankind. So, yeah, great, great question there. Now, looking at, looking at this time of comfort and prosperity, um, I want to, uh, do you want to talk to that, Randy? Oh, Is that your I, I question? I just want to go back to the, your original question. Yeah. You're so right. When we get comfortable, um, you know, it's basically God saying, okay, no more gate for your camel. Here's the needle that you have to go through. Yeah. Because it's hard. It's difficult. We get so complacent. And I, b before we go any further, I, I looked at this. And I thought, gosh, it's so easy to say, Nebuchadnezzar, what an idiot. I mean, Pharaoh, what an idiot. It takes 10 plagues. I mean, mm. by two, I would be like, okay. Yeah, okay. I get it. You know, I, I get it. I get yeah. it. Uh, that's enough for me. Yeah. But we say this and we think, gosh, these guys are idiots. But I finally had this epiphany that with their hubris, and I think they're so stupid, this is an allegory of me. I do the exact same thing. I fall under the exact same traps that I do. I do yeah. the exact same things. Yeah. And it's not, it makes us look as ourselves and we're just like them. It's like, how, how many times does God have to bring you down? He's trying so very hard to, to yeah. just like, look, I, you're going down this path. Yeah. And if you don't turn it around, and maybe let me put some um, some things in your way so that you'll go, ouch, oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's true. It, people don't want to change as long as eh, it's not that uncomfortable. There are some people who will go forever without getting their eyes checked. Well, I can see good enough. You know, and then when you can't read, uh, you know, you're holding it in your hand and you can't stretch it far enough. Okay, I gotta go see the eye doctor. Or different ailments. People will wait until the discomfort is so high that they have to. You're right. Red microphone, Jay. I've noticed that there seems to be a pattern that doesn't just happen in the Old Testament. I, 
I see it in the, in the New Testament as well, that uh, going back and forth between a time of peace and a time of discomfort, and you'll see it in the Old Testament, in yep. the history of the nation of Israel, but you also see it in Acts. Yeah. And as you read through the book, it seems like there are times when there's uh, you know, prosperity and comfort for the fledgling church as it's growing, and then suddenly there's a time of persecution, and I, I got the sense as I was reading through it a few years ago that it's like God allows something to flower and to go to seed, and you have like a maybe like a dandelion or something or other, and it's like God picks it and goes, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, yeah, His kingdom that would just be concentrated. Our our natural tendency is to concentrate and localize yeah. in certain areas. Yeah, but welcome to La Melinda. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I used to I used to live in Lodi and Angwin and other yeah. places very similar. Yeah. And I think he wants his kingdom to spread out and have influence in the world and it can't have influence when it becomes concentrated and localized too long in certain yeah. places. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh here, blue mic. Pastor Rice, I have this question. It's kind of off the subject. Why did God give the dream to a pagan king? Why not leave it to Solomon, the wisest king? Thank you. Thank you for asking the question that I've had. Yes. Because this is not what we tell our kids with the little felt board stories, right? We tell the story of if you do this right and that right, and if you're really devout, perhaps one day God can use you as his messenger. But God says, well, <laughs> nice felts. But the reality is, and we see this even in Solomon's writing, where God speaks to whoever he wants to. God does what he wills. Um, but you're also going to see Nebuchadnezzar repeat this toward the end. God does whatever he wants. And some people may look at that in a negative way, but in this story, it's one of the most positive things, especially for those of you who have loved ones, family members, that you are right on the edge of giving up of any hope of their salvation. Because they've left the church, they know, quote, the truth, and yet they're not in any way demonstrating that they want to have a connection with God. And we in our human self think they have shut themselves off from God being able to speak to them. Let this chapter be the greatest chapter of hope for you today in knowing that God can speak to the people that you would least likely think that he's going to speak to. Because God loves them so deeply and so thoroughly. He's not going to allow anybody even people who are super proud and think, eh, I am one nation over God. God still is going to work. So let this be really a hope-building chapter for you today and knowing that, no, it's not based on works, lest any man boast. It's the gift of God. He wants to come into people's life. He wants to speak to them. He wants to change their life. He wants to change their course. Uh, we, we see that all throughout Scripture as well. Beautiful question. Thank you for asking it. All right. I think the next one was Michael here. Several years ago, 
a friend of mine said, if things are going good for you, enjoy it. Believe me, things are going to get salty later. <laughs> and that was an absolute truth. Yeah. That's the way life is. Life is yeah. hard and difficult. It's designed to be that way. Yeah. You hear this fable, uh, man and woman, they meet, they fall in love, they get married, and they're going to live happily ever after. I haven't met anybody who said, boy, we lived happily ever after, with no problems and difficulties at all. Every marriage has got its ups and downs. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and your your wife is about to nod her head very vigorously. <laughs> but it, 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 I can see it in her eyes. It's very easy <laughs> to fall into this trap of: Are you paying attention? Do you see the difficulties I'm facing? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Yes, yeah, I love that, Michael, because most people never ask this question: Is God's greatest desire that I be happy? That's a trick question because I said greatest desire. His greatest desire is that you be connected. We have that from, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches, John 15. Um, so his greatest desire that you're connected, his greatest desire is not that you're happy. Because if you look, like someone just mentioned, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, it was at, it was at the greatest times of contentment that they forgot God. And so it, it really is, we pray for God to bring things into our life that make us happy, not knowing that that might be the worst thing to keep us connected to God. So as much as God wants you to be happy, he has a life for that. It's called the afterlife. It's actually your real life. That's why I call this the before life, um, because this is not your life. This is your before life. Your real life is the afterlife. That's the real life. And he wants you to be happy. No more tears, sorrow, sickness, pain, death. That's all gone. You get that in, in Revelation chapter 2. That's his plan. This world is not here to make you happy. This world is here to help you understand the great controversy. Because as you live through the pain of this life, you will understand for eternity the reason why God is so amazing and why God's plan is the best plan. And you'll understand the results of sin and what, what happens when sin comes into the world, and you'll understand for all eternity God is the source of happiness. But right now we're living in a kingdom of this world where even Christ himself calls Satan the prince of this world. And so we've got to deal with that government right now. And unfortunately, we can't recall the devil. But one day God will. Yes, exactly. All right. I think I think Sharon was next. Yes. When we talk about contentment, it takes my mind to Philippians 4:11. This is almost the acme that most of us hope we can get to. Paul is talking about all the bad things that have happened to him, but he says, "I have learned." the secret to be both filled and hungry, both to abound and to be in want. In whatsoever state I am, therein to be content. Yes. English has translated content there. I would use the word fulfillment. And I'll tell you why. Contentment, and this is, sorry, I'm going into 
going into uh, counseling mode here. Contentment comes from externals. I'm content because of what I have on the outside. I have enough money, I have enough food, I have clothes, I have a house, I've got all these things on the outside. I have relationships, all this stuff coming in. Fulfillment comes from the internals. And so, although contentment is dangerous, if that is what you equate to fulfillment, fulfillment is possible on this planet. And fulfillment will bring more joy than contentment ever will. And I'll explain. Contentment is understanding there's a reason why you're here at this time, at this place, in the sphere of influence that God has placed you. Contentment is all the things on the outside. Fulfillment is I am here for a purpose and a reason. And as I act out my personal life purpose, and I help connect people with God, I help connect people with love, I help give from inside intrinsically give I have fulfillment I never could have from the things on the outside that bring me contentment and so that's why as I've looked at that same verse as well Sharon I would and no one's asking me to but I would translate that into fulfillment because when you look at him saying look there was a lot of things I didn't have because I've known what it means to go through all this trial but there's a fulfillment that doesn't come from the externals. It can only come from the internal. God in me, God working through me, I'm fulfilled. And that brings me a joy that the world can never bring. And so for me, that's where I look at this. And even though God had spoken 30 years earlier and really made a, a, big, a, a, a big change in Nebuchadnezzar's understanding of the Most High God, he never translated that into, okay, so now what does that give me internally that I need to give? What is my life calling based on this most high God connecting with me? What's my responsibility intrinsically to give to my subjects? Instead, we're going to see how he acted and the reason why, why God got into this. We're going to go uh, real quick to Mike, and then the purple mic, and then we're going to go to the next verses. Go ahead, Mike. I think it's real interesting what you said earlier about this is the pre-life and heaven is the real life. Yeah. We um, tend to, I look at it as if we all just went to heaven and never had the pre-life, we'd never appreciate what all the tough times were. Yeah, and, and I think and that's why it makes have. sense to me in, in some of the other prophecy that, that we take a look at, why it says that all of creation, uh, all of the other heavenly worlds are watching what's happening in this battleground because they get to witness still so that they'll also understand the, the results of sin too. Thank you, Mike. Over here, purple microphone. Yeah. My, my whole life I've been just so drawn to stories. And uh, finally, a few years ago, I read a, story, uh, a book on story writing by yeah. Don Miller. And he, I was surprised to learn that the purpose of the story is not to have a happy main character at the end of the story, is not to have uh, the, the reader itself, uh, reader content. 
Right. But rather, the whole purpose of the story is character development. Yes. And I wonder in this, in this, if in this story, the great writer is developing our own characters through the yes. adversities, and that the whole purpose of the story is not for us to be content here and now, but rather for us to be ultimately connected for eternity uh, with him. Did you guys hear that? That's profound. That, that's absolutely profound. In story writing, which is one of my hobbies, by the way, so you're speaking to me, um, the way that you write your plot, it's a series of crises. It's not a series of successes. It is one crisis that leads to the next. And if you really want to write a thriller, a great thriller, it, just, it makes you upset because you can't put that book down. Uh, it keeps you up all night. It's the opposite of the books that I read, uh, excuse me, that I write, which are once you put them down, you can't pick them back up. Um, <laughs> but the books that are page turners, that keep you up all night. The formula is every solution creates a new and larger problem. And that's why you keep turning. It's, it's part of our human nature of, of, of we have to have resolution. We've got to see this thing turn out, like you said, with this happy ending. But especially if you read short stories, you know, no, there's, um, short stories aren't supposed to even end with an ending. It's, a, it's always a cliffhanger. Why? Because true story is about how the, quote, hero or protagonist overcomes the obstacles and them overcoming the obstacles develops a character that you care about that you're passionate about seeing them succeed but if it's not for the crisis you have no story you cannot write a story without crisis because no one will care so if you're going through crisis right now, you are in a thriller. So get excited because these pages are turning. But God is not, God is not wanting you to have pain for the sake of pain. And that's what we have to take a look at. And this is where I think this story really beautifully opens up this picture of God. If you look at the next verses, we're going to skip down because there's some repetition. Please go back and read through it. But we're going to take a look at verses 19 through 27 of chapter 4, which reads in the NIV like this. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream and its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and it's meaning to your adversaries. Now, I want to pause here. Some of you are wondering, why did I boldface the words, if only the dream applied to your enemies? Think about this. It's a negative dream about the king who kidnapped you and has held you for 30 years in his country, and you haven't been able to live at home being the prince or the ruler that you were born to be, which Daniel was. And yet, when he goes to tell Nebuchadnezzar his perspective, his godly perspective is, if only the dream applied to your enemies. This shows his care, his concern for someone who has taken him away from his own personal power and prosperity. And yet he still has best wishes for this man. 
he had not given up on him. And he, I think he also understood, especially seeing what God was doing through these visions and miracles there, I think he was seeing God do much like what he was trying to do with the Pharaoh of Egypt in trying to help him understand, I'm here to save you too. I, ha I have a plan A, which is to save everybody. My plan B is, well, if you decide not to, well, I, I, I have a group of people who will listen. But here, Daniel gets that. And in verse 20, he goes on, he says, The tree you saw, which grew, uh, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing fruit for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. I know that sounds kind of like a Maury show or whatever. You are the father. But... Um, <laughs> There's a much better context. Uh, you're that tree, but it gets worse because uh, although you have become great and strong, your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against the Lord my King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed, it may be that then your prosperity will continue. There's a real issue going on you need to understand. Although for Nebuchadnezzar, it's a time of contentment and prosperity for his kingdom, it, it is not. It really depends on who you are in that kingdom. And at this time, historians say that Nebuchadnezzar was actually quite cruel to uh, the people he had captured. Uh, he's enslaved hundreds of thousands of people from different nations. And if you didn't do what he said, he would cut you to pieces and turn your house to rubble and, and put a curse on you. Um, it was a time of fear for a lot of people. It's interesting to look at this because I see some comparisons here. Maybe you do as well. In, this is really a window into God's character because there seems to be a pet peeve that is above all pet peeves for God. There is something that irks God more than anything else, so much so that he acts. In fact, when he comes as the son of God and walks through the temple square and he sees this happening, he turns over tables. He turns ropes into whips and he says, knock it off. There's something that gets him so upset that we take a look at the picture and say, whoa, 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 he never has responded that way. 
to any of the other things that are offensive, this seems to be the most offensive thing to God, the thing that makes him so upset that he says, this is it. What is that thing? What do you guys see as the thing that makes God so upset that he acts like he's acting here with Nebuchadnezzar, he acts the way he did in the temple square, and he's acted that way even when children of Israel were going through that the wilderness, there are times that God just says, enough, you're in a timeout. And I want to see what that is. We're going to go to this microphone right here. Is that the, Dante, is that the blue microphone? Blue microphone, thank you. David. I agree with Randy that um, this is a window into our own lives, beginning with the beginning of the chapter and up through verse 27. We're sitting, our the luxuries that we have and that we experience today are far beyond what King Nebuchadnezzar imagined. We're yeah. sitting here in this air-conditioned room. We're going to go and get in our air-conditioned car and go home to our air-conditioned home. And then mm -hmm. tonight we're going to turn on our big screen TV. King Nebuchadnezzar never had that. And then tomorrow yeah. when we're doing our errands and we're at that freeway off ramp and there's that person there with the sign asking for alms we're going to say get a job <laughs> there's plenty of jobs out there and if you mm -hmm. worked hard you'd have what i have no wow. you don't deserve this right how many times have those thoughts gone through any one of our heads yeah and what god what what daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 27. He doesn't say, and, and I read several different versions of the Bible, and um, what I got was, to be righteous, you have to be kind to the oppressed. You have to show mercy to the poor. And James tells us that true religion is watching over and caring for orphans and widows. Yeah. Daniel doesn't tell Nebuchadnezzar Keep God's commandments and be righteous. Yeah. It doesn't say that. What it says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to be righteous, be kind to the oppressed, show mercy to the poor. Yeah. And we're focusing on, oh, well, the saints keep the commandments. Mm -hmm. But yet we judge and condemn that person at the freeway off ramp. And we ignore that kid across town who's got a single parent because one of them's in jail and that kid's out there running around on their own. Those people are out of our mind and we don't do anything about it. That's what makes God upset time after time after time. And Jesus even says it. Mm -hmm. Where were you when I was hungry? Where were you when I needed clothes? Where were you when I mm -hmm. was in prison? And then he follows up with the phrase, I never knew you. You know, so, we can do a lot of activity without God being part of it, so much so that he's like, oh, that's great, but who are you guys? <laughs> and so we can say that, you know, we go to Bible lab every, way, every day or every yeah. Sabbath, and yeah. we know the character of God, but if we don't share that with those yeah. people that we come across, yeah. because God wants us to be his representative, yeah. his emissary, his ambassador, with everybody we come across. Yeah. Um, there was another issue here, um, question. Uh, I'm uncertain why you, 
you characterize Nebuchadnezzar as a pagan because at the beginning he gives glory and praise and recognition to God at the beginning of the story. My understanding is that at the end of the story, Nebuchadnezzar is truly converted, becomes a believer. I expect to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven, so why are we labeling him as a pagan? That's, that's a great, great question. That's not a title I gave to him. It's, it's one that all commentators say. I think the reason why they say it is because he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't a Jew. And to them, especially in those days, uh, for a non-Jew, a pagan, to, to give this acknowledgement of God would, would be like an atheist coming in here and giving us an acknowledgement of God. If he came in, we'd be like, look, an atheist came. We're like, well, how could he be an atheist if he just acknowledged? Well, because the rest of his life and the rest of his experience is, has been, whatever. So, yeah, I, I appreciate you for, for uh, clarifying that. But according to the Jews, they saw him as a pagan because he wasn't practicing what they thought is necessary to be in right relationship with God. I want to go back to that first point uh, that, that you made, because I think this is huge, and I don't want us to miss what, what you just said. The real issue that's going on with Nebuchadnezzar here is that he's, he is not in any way compassionate about the needs of his people. He's just so self-focused, very narcissistic, and because of that, um, it's very offensive to God. You, you brought up, you know, uh, some Bible verses. I think as we look at, some of you earlier brought up this point of, you know, how could he think this way when he's gone through? We're, we're always in a growing development of understanding who God is. And many of us, the reason why we're so passionate about what we're finding in the Bible lab here is because it goes against what we just grew up with not too many years ago. The theology that was given to us by very well-meaning people were discovering, oh, no, this is what the actual, if you do exegesis, the, the big word here for breaking down the language, culture, context, it actually says something different. But uh, the verse that was probably misused the most for me growing up was from James chapter 2. It says, faith without works is dead. And then the people would explain to me what that means. Well, faith without works, you know, we have the commandments and the Sabbath is very important to God. And, you know, if, if, uh, if you're not truly working out your salvation, of course, your faith is dead. And that's not what that chapter says at all. I dare you to read James chapter two, because it's going to talk about things just like this. And just like what David was talking about, where it says, when you see people who are cold and hungry and you say, uh, and you send them on their way and you say, hey, stay warm and, and be well fed. And you don't help that person. That's not faith. Because faith without works is dead. So what's the whole context for faith without works is dead? Is do you have compassion on the needs? Uh, do you have compassion for the needs of the people around you? And this seems to be a key point to God. You cannot be godly and at the same time have no compassion for the people who are less fortunate. Because God is not only love, but God wants to show that love through acts of faith. And that's what James chapter 2 is all about. And yet, I was brought up being told it was something that it's so important for me, me to make sure and keep all the commandments because faith without doing those things would show that my faith is dead. You see how things 
can easily be, be twisted. I want to jump ahead real quick, and then we'll come to some of these mics, because I want you to see one of the most crucial things for you to understand here. Verses 29 through 37, it's the conclusion of Nebuchadnezzar's testimony about God. Verse 29 says, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lip, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. So what's his response? How dare you, God? That was seven years of my reign. No, his response is, then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. I want you to see something here as we, we have to close. I put it in bold here, verse 36. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Some of you look at the trials of life, and you think, if I go through that, I'm going to be worse off than I am now. Not if it's God's plan. Because going through the crises... As God's growing you and helping you, you have to understand, even if it's seven years of living as a wild animal, God's desire is the end of the story. That beautiful denouement at the end of your story is that you are even greater than before. God's desire is not to humble you so you're even more you know, cowered down and whooped and fearful than you were before. And so at the end, God can say, I have a huge plan. He told his disciples, greater things than these will you do. His plan is always for greater things for you. 
His plan is not to crush you. And in fact, Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13, he's got plans for you, plans with hope and a future. So God does not allow bad things to come into your life so that you'll, from then on, walk with a limp and say, okay, God, I'm sorry, I know. You're going to beat me down, and oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Because this Father up above is going to zap you with his love if you don't do right. It's kind of like your kids. I've always said, you don't know who the good kid is until you have the other kid. (laughs) Right? Am I right or am I right? Yeah, I'm right. There's that kid that you're like, holy cow, you take after my spouse like nobody else. I've never met someone so stubborn. This is your fault. It's because of how you were as a kid. Now look, we've got a kid like that. And then the, your parents make it worse because they say, see, that's your punishment. That's your punishment. Yeah, that kid. But the reality is you raise your kids differently based upon what they need to become the best members of society, the most Uh, greatest contributors of society. And don't you know God is your loving parent is also looking and saying, I want to grow you. I I, I want you to be greater than before. But if you keep acting foolish like you're acting, you're going to not only destroy yourself, you're going to destroy everyone that, that you touch and everything that you touch. But I want to restore, and I want you to see the blessing that God did here. Do you see all of these things he lists about? He says, this is the miracle. I was a wild animal. Do you think anyone is going to seek me out and say, hey, will you be our king again? You look normal now. He acknowledges the miracle of credibility. God built up his credibility even greater than before. And you know what? He's different. And you know what was greater than uh, than before in him? His perspective. And so instead of us trying to run from the crises in life, we need to look at this because if the crises come because we need some discipline, it's from God and it's going to make us better. And if the crisis is coming because the devil is trying to discourage us, that's the greatest compliment. I call it the devil's greatest compliment is trials. He's complimenting because you're about to just be so significant for God's kingdom. And so trials come into your life. It's the greatest compliment you can receive. Read Acts chapter 19 about the seven sons of Sceva who are doing the work of God in Jesus' name. And, and the demon says, well, you know, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you guys? It's the greatest compliment to be on the devil's radar. And so no matter what you're going through, understand God is using all of this to grow us, to grow our influence, and then to send others to seek us out because they want the leadership that only God can bring. Wow, I wish we had another three hours to dig even deeper into this, but isn't it reassuring for us to see how God takes us through the journey that we need to go on to fully realize our full capacity and to truly fulfill the purpose that he built within each of us. That makes me excited. I hope it makes you excited too. And I hope you're excited to join us next week for session five because we not only change rulers, but we change experiences and we change one more perspective of God 
as he writes with his own finger on a wall to warn somebody, to give someone a chance, just like the thief on the cross, he gives one more king a chance to know who God is before they die. I can't wait to go through that conversation with you, so join us next week for episode 63. God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.